Well, welcome to everyone joining us from all of our various campuses spread out through Northern Virginia. If you are joining us at one of our physical locations, man, we just want you to know that we've got a group of local staff and volunteers who immediately after service would love to connect with you and begin to tell you about this place called The Mountain, answer any questions. We'd love for you to stop by our guest services desk, whatever campus you happen to be at. If you are joining us online, you can do that right there in the chat. Just let us know it's your first time and one of our volunteers will celebrate with you and help you find your next step in following Jesus here at the Mount. Here's one of the things I do know though, whether you are here with us in room in Stafford, whether you are down in Fredericksburg or wherever you happen to be all over the world joining us online, you, if it's your first time here, you have come to a place where we care deeply about you. The, the people, not just the staff, but every single person you see here at the Mount, they care about you. They are excited you are here. They are enthusiastic that you are here. They, they are looking forward to seeing you pursue Jesus. Even if you don't have a relationship with him yet, we are confident that one day you will and you are going to pursue him and be a kingdom difference maker because that is our mission and our vision. We want to be for one more and make a difference in our local communities and all over the world. So we're excited if you are here with us for the first time. Well, as a recap, we are in the fourth week of a series titled The Arena. And over the last month, what we've been doing is we have been looking at uh, kind of taking a, a pause from what we might normally do in a normal series and really diving in and focusing in on the men or manhood or masculinity for a moment. And now I've said this every week, but I, I have to say it just in case someone's new, uh, by, by doing a series on men, what we are not saying, we are not saying that we believe that women are less than, that men are you know, superior and women are inferior, or that some way men have more control and authority. No, no, we believe as a church from the very beginning that when, when the world was made, when the universe was made, when God made man and woman, he made them both in his image. Scripture tells us that they are made in the image of God, which means man and women, men and women are both, they are both have significance and worth and value and honor equally in the kingdom of God. It takes both of them to get the complete picture of the divine fingerprint of the image of God in humanity. And so we believe wholeheartedly from the bottom of our heart that not one sex is better than the other. They are equal in their worth and their value. But we see in scripture very clearly at multiple times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, where God has given man and woman different roles or responsibilities or tasks or jobs in the kingdom of God and in the family and all the other places. And so what we have said is that we really want to take a moment and dive into that. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at these gardens or arenas where as men, we are called to, to fight, to do battle, to, to spiritually stand up and lean in and take the initiative in the kingdom around us. And so this week, we, we've gone through multiple different arenas, and this week we are gonna really focus in on the arena of fatherhood, the fatherhood arena. And here's what, here's what I love about when it comes to talking about manhood and masculinity and being a man in the kingdom of God is that we have said from the very beginning that Jesus is our model. He's the, the prototype. He's the, the thing that we look to for inspiration that we're supposed to emulate, that we are supposed to copy and build our life upon. And Jesus is the model man. He is the model for masculinity. Now, I say that and some of you, like you're, you're cringing right now, right? Because your mind, Jesus, was this guy who was this 
soft, weak, meek, mild, gentle, kind, loving, almost like a pushover doormat who people could just do whatever they wanted. And I just want to tell you this morning and remind you that that is so far from the truth. Yes, in Scripture, we see Jesus as this guy who loved his mother, this guy who loved children, this guy who was meek and mild and would turn the other cheek and allow people to, to slap him or punch him or whatever happened, but he's also at the very same time when he is meek and mild and gentle and loving and humble and all these things, he is at the very same time in the very same body with the very same spirit. He is the most fierce spiritual warrior we see in all of history. He's the very same God who, who stood in a desert with Satan for 40 days battling him verbally. He's the very same God who we see him the night before he dies in a garden sweating drops of blood from the intense anxiety in the battle that's to come. He's the very same man who willingly, obediently took nails into his wrist. He's a fierce warrior. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, when Jesus is talking about himself, he says this. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. In other words, Jesus says, listen, don't, 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 don't mistake that I came just about peace and love and kindness. Yes, I have a part of that, but I came to fight. I came to do battle. There is a spiritual enemy that is real and he is in front of me and I came to bring a sword and I'm going to attack and I'm going to a battle. He is a fierce warrior. And in fact, we see in the book of Revelation when John, one of the guys who followed him in the very beginning, has this vision of the one day that Jesus, after the greatest battle he has ever fought, the battle where he literally takes on death and sin and the grave and hell and comes out victorious and rises from the dead and conquers, that very same Jesus will return one day in Revelation chapter 19, and we see it in verse 11 through 16. He describes it as this. He says, then I saw heaven opened. And there was a white horse standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. He's talking about Jesus. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous, what? War. His eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in their finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, listen to this, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Listen, Jesus, I don't know about you, but as a man, I get kind of excited knowing that Jesus is my model. And yes, Jesus was kind and Jesus was loving, but he was also this fierce warrior who's coming back with a robe dipped in blood. And I see that and I'm like, oh, it makes me want to be a man. I'm like robe dipped in blood and he's fighting and he's doing battle. And it makes me want to just stand up and go and conquer the world and take on any darkness that surrounds me and advance the kingdom of God because he is the picture of what it means to be a man. He's not passive. He's active, he's engaged, he's stepping in when others are stepping back. And so today, let's talk about the father arena, the arena of fatherhood. Now, those of you that are, are fathers, you, you know this, but becoming a dad really does change you, right? 
And I'm not just talking about like, it's like the moment you get a child, you intuitively know all the dad jokes immediately. You don't have to research them. They just come to you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there's something that happens as a father, as a dad, when you first become that dad and hold that baby. I remember very vividly in, the, in my mind uh, when both of my kids were born, Micah and Emerson, and I remember that moment where you, you first kind of hold them and you're kind of figuring out what to do with the head, you're not exactly sure, and I remember just kind of looking down at them, and I remember just kind of being in awe, right, of their, their tiny little hands and toes that were sticking out, and I just remember looking into their tiny little eyes and just having this moment holding them, this, these tiny eyes, just remembering like, and thinking and realizing I have no idea what I'm doing. I, I'm gonna break him, right? Like, I, why, why have I not been preparing for this more in my life? Why have I waited till now to realize I'm a father? Like, I, I just remember that mixture of emotions. As dads, we all have that, right? Those emotions, you're, 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 you're holding your baby for the first time, and you're excited about the future, the possibility, what could be. But you're incredibly anxious about what if I dropped him when my wife's not around? Like you're, you're just this mixture of emotions. As they get a little bit older and they start walking, you're, you're excited about the opportunity to begin to kind of play with them in new ways, whether it's a boy or girl, depending on what you're playing and what fun it is. And if, for me, it was both boys, so it was all Legos and Thomas the Train and all these things. And it was, it was exciting, it was fun, but I was also anxious and worried and fearful of what's gonna happen when they like run into stuff or break stuff or pull open the kitchen knives and all these things. And I was afraid and worried and terrified at the same time as being excited. Then as they, they get a little bit older, you're excited for the, the new experiences you get to have with them, the memories you get to make, but you're also terrified when they begin asking big questions that you don't actually know the answers to and no one ever equipped you for. Then they become a teenager and like your emotions are just trying to catch up with theirs. You're not sure what's happening and it's just chaos and a tornado. And then it comes time to launch them out of the house. Maybe they go off to the military in a career. Maybe they go straight to the workforce. Maybe they go to college and you're excited, maybe they just go to your basement, you're excited, <laughs> not the bottom one, you're not excited about that one, right? But you're excited, but you're also nervous. Are they ready? Did I prepare them? Have I done enough? And those, those thoughts, those, these, these two opposing emotions continue for, you know, they graduate college, they, they get married, they start a family, you become grandpa grandparents, and it's just always this mixture of emotions. You, part of being a father means you are constantly filled with excitement and anticipation and hopefulness, but fear and anxiety and worry. Men, there is no other arena in your life where on one hand, you have the potential to shape and mold these God-honoring, Christ-centered, kingdom-minded people and unleash them into the world. But on the other hand, you have the potential to deeply wound and hurt someone. Being a dad is an immense responsibility. It is a immense responsibility. As dads, we have the ability to shape the future in a good or a bad way. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but one of the greatest movies of all time is A Field of Dreams. Anyone ever seen A Field of Dreams? Let's all participate. Fredericksburg, raise your hands. So some of you, mainly some of the men, some of the ladies are like, oh, I got forced to watch it with my husband or whatever. So uh, it's a great movie. And I'm not gonna spoil it for you, 
but I am gonna kind of spoil it for you here. So, but I'm not gonna summarize the whole movie, I'll just kind of burst it. So the movie is about this guy by the name of Ray, who's played by Kevin Costner. And Ray is a middle-aged, small-town Iowa farmer in the middle of nowhere. And his family is really struggling. Their farm is not economically stable. Things are rough, things are difficult. There's other people trying to buy his farm and he's not real sure what to do. But one day he's out walking in his cornfield and a voice comes to him. And anytime a voice comes to you in a cornfield, you might wanna go to the doctor and get that checked out. But he's out walking through the cornfield and a voice comes to him and the voice, and many of you know it, the voice says to him, if you build it, he will come. And he's like, I don't know what this means. And he begins through a process to hear other voices. And the voice said, only if you build it, he will come. But it also says, ease his pain. And through some discernment and conversations with his wife, he finds out Ray believes that his job, what he is being told by this voice, is he needs to plow down a section of his cornfield and build a baseball diamond on his struggling financial farm. And so he does this, and I'm sure that him and his wife had some really serious conversations about whether he was crazy or not, but he does this. And he builds this field, and lo and behold, out of nowhere, coming from the the edge of the corn into the field are baseball players or ghosts who can walk, and they look like real people. And they come, and they can interact with them and talk with them. And they come, and they begin to play baseball. Now, I'm going to skip all the subplots in the middle about who these ball players are, why they show up, and all this stuff, because here's what you need to know for our context today. Ray... Growing up, him and his father had a very strained relationship. Very strained. Things were not well. Things were not good. In fact, they were so strained that at one point, 20 or 30 years before this, this moment in the cornfield, Ray looks at his father, and just in the middle of this argument, in the middle of this intense moment, he looks at his father directly in the face, and basically, in essence, I'll paraphrase, he tells him, Dad, I don't respect you. And his father is wounded and hurt. And Ray says this out of his wounds and his hurt. And they sort of go their ways. And then Ray's father dies and they never have a chance to reconcile. And so for the next 20 years, he carries that shame, that guilt and that baggage of this unrestored relationship. Until one day on a farm in the middle of Iowa, his father walks out of a cornfield onto a baseball field. And Ray is taken back. He doesn't know what to do. He begins kind of introducing his father to his family, his daughter and his wife. But when he introduces them, he always introduces them as this is John. This is John. He never says this is dad or this is my father. He says this is John. This is John. And then there's this moment at the very end of the movie. And I want you to watch this. Take a look at this clip. Catch a good game. Thank you. It's so beautiful here. For me, well, for me, it's like a dream come true. Can I ask you something? Is, is this heaven? Iowa. Iowa?
place dreams come true. I don't know if you could see it in his face, but you could tell deep in his core, Ray just wanted to connect with his dad. There's something about stories of fathers and their children that deeply move us. About a month and a half ago, I stood on this stage and I shared with you part of the story of me and my father's relationship. The story of when I became a believer in Jesus and felt called to full-time ministry, how that affected the next 15 years of our lives before he passed away. And I had numerous, tons of you come to me after service here at the Stafford campus and even got some emails uh, uh, through the next week of you guys just expressing that the story, how the emotions connected with you. Why? Because we're deeply moved by stories of fathers and their children. I still remember vividly in my mind the very first time my stepfather, we were in a car and he, he looked at me and said, Adam, I'm proud of you. It is seared into my brain. Why? Because we are deeply moved by stories of fathers and their children connecting. There's something that happens in those stories. What about you, men? Not, not the story of you and your father. What are the stories your kids would tell about you? Would they say, my dad was the kind of dad who was there? Yeah, his job was busy and sometimes he had to travel out of the country and he got, had duty stations and all these other things. But my dad, when he was home, he was present, he was engaged, he was intentional, he was focused, he was a part of our family. Or would the story be my dad was withdrawn, isolated, 
abusive, disconnected? What is the story your kids will tell about you? In Genesis chapter two, verse 15, we read that the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. We've looked at this verse every week for the past four weeks. The garden, just so you remember, the garden is the the place, the the circumstance, the all-encompassing environment, the total sphere of everything that existed in Adam's life at that moment. And God placed him there for a purpose, for a reason, for a divine intention to do some very specific things. And it says he was there to work it and to Keep it, and that word keep it, if you remember that phrase, can kind of mean to guard, to protect, to watch over, to to keep something. And in essence, what God is saying in this moment, and he's saying to you and I as men, is he is saying that we are given a garden, a sphere of influence, and in that sphere, for those of us that have been blessed or called by God to have kids, to be fathers, to be dads, we have children in our garden, and we are tasked with, we are given the responsibility and the role and the purpose and the function of guarding that and protecting them. And let me just say, I want to make sure we're clear because part of the thing we are tasked with guarding and protecting our children from is some of the culture that surrounds them that tries to take them away from God and the attacks of the enemy. And we are to step in and be fathers who protect them, who talk to them, who pray for them, who disciple them. And here's my fear is that sometimes you and I as men, because of our passivity, what we do is we want to delegate the responsibility of protecting our children to the kids ministry or the student ministry. We say, well, you know, like they're the professionals. That's their job. I'm gonna drop them off and they're gonna protect them and guard them and and train them up in a way. Listen, men, you do not get to delegate your responsibility. You do not delegate your task. It is a post given to you by your heavenly father. It is a calling on your life and you stand there and you watch the fence. You guard your family's life. You protect and you honor and you guard. You don't delegate it out to someone else. Secondly, It says you are to to guard, to protect, but also to work it. And I love, I love the metaphor, the, the, the spiritual imagery that comes from this word. Remember, Adam is placed in a garden and he's to work it, to cultivate the soil of everything around to make sure it flourishes and thrives in such a way that it lives this abundant life. And you and I as men, those of us that are called to be fathers by God who have been blessed with that responsibility and that role, we are to cultivate or work the soil of our children's hearts. What does that mean? That means first and foremost, At our core of who we are as dads, our responsibility, our role in leading our kids is to ensure that we cultivate a heart of faith in them. We disciple them and push them and pull them and drag them and lead them all the different ways we can to get them to see the beauty of Jesus and God as their heavenly father. And we strive for that each and every day and every moment. But that also means we cultivate their heart. We cultivate their heart. Our our role and our responsibility is not just to help our children avoid sin. It's to cultivate their heart. 
Our role and our responsibility as dads and fathers is not only to ensure that they get good grades and that they get into the right college and get the right career and find the right wife and do all of these different things. Yeah, that's maybe part of it, but that's not our work. That's not our main focus. Our job is to cultivate the heart of our kids. But here's the tendency, right? Like you and I, as men, as dads, we tend to focus on all of the externals. We wanna cultivate a certain behavior, a certain image, a certain look. We wanna cultivate certain external success and make sure they get this and this and this and everything gets lined up. But as men, as scripture, we are to cultivate their heart. In my two decades of pastoral ministry, I have never had someone come up to me. And in all the thousands of conversations I have had, I have never had a son or a daughter, a man or a woman come to me and say, Adam, I really wish my dad would have taught me how to change a tire and that's why my life is so messed up right now. Adam, my dad never taught me how to pick the right stocks. And man, it's just, my life has just been in shambles ever since then. Adam, My dad never taught me how to smoke a good brisket. My life would be different if he would have. But almost daily, weekly, you know how many conversations I have with a man or a woman? Say, I wish my dad would have said things differently. You see, Your children are not shaped by what you do or don't do. Your children, as a father, are shaped by what you say or don't say. Your words are the tool that cultivates the heart of your family. You have been given the task, the role, The wounds that your children will carry around are not because of what you did or didn't do. They are built on the foundation of what you said or didn't say. And unfortunately, ever since that day in the garden, when Adam was passive, we talked about this, as men, we are marked by passivity. And so in the moments where we know we should step in and lean in, we step back and we remain passive. And it is our failure I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the Old Testament, it ends in this very interesting way, right? Like you think about like, and maybe it's just me overthinking it, but you think the entire Old Testament, right? Like it's moving, it's got this trajectory and this speed and it's going somewhere. And then it gets to the book of Malachi and there's this prophet by the name of Malachi who's giving his message and it's the book of Malachi, right? You track in there and you would think this is gonna be this profound thing, right? It's the end of the Old Testament. God's about to go silent for 400 years. This is gonna be profound, significant, impactful. This is gonna be like revolutionary. This is incredible, And so Malachi, as a prophet, he takes a moment and he kind of reminds the Israelite people of what God did before. He's like, here, this was God's faithfulness, his goodness, this was your rebellion, but look at the future. And he kind of paints this picture of this thing that's coming, this kingdom that's coming, this day of the Lord, when everything will be full of grace and mercy and truth and this amazing feeling. He paints this beautiful vision of what's coming one day in the future. And then the very last verse in the Old Testament, how does he end it? What is the thing that Malachi, God says right there in Malachi verse four, chapter six, it says this, his preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. In other words, 
The last words of the Old Testament are, listen, fathers, your relationship with your children is marked by the fall and the curse, and because of that curse, your heart is turned away from them, and their heart is turned away from you, but one day, there is one who is coming who is so mighty and so powerful and so full of grace and so full of truth. One of the things he will do, not only will he save all of mankind, but one of the things that we want you to know that he's going to do is he's going to turn your heart back to your children and your children's heart back to you. Restoration is coming one day. Dads, let's just get really honest and real for a minute. Is your heart towards your children? I'm not asking if you love them. Do they have your affection, your affirmation, your intentionality? Or would they say, My dad's heart is to his career. My dad's heart is to the Dallas Cowboys. Because no one's with the commanders, right? (laughs) My, (laughs) my. (laughs) Is your heart towards them? In all of my years, of ministry. I was a student pastor for 15 years, and it was amazing to me how I could go ask a teenager, a 16, 17-year-old, how their relationship with their father was, and within 10 minutes, they would begin to tell you whether they thought their father even liked them or loved them. They felt it. Men, dads, You have an immense responsibility. Yes, your children need a secure home. Yes, they need financial stability. Yes, they need to know how to change tires and parallel park and all of those different things. They need to to be taught all of those practical skills. But ultimately, deep down, they need a father who who cultivates their heart. They need your, your time, your involvement, your attention, your affection, and your approval. And one of the most powerful ways that we can cultivate the heart of our children is through our words. Let me just give you an example from scripture in the life of Jesus. In Matthew chapter three, where Jesus is about to get baptized, right? Jesus is 30 years old at this time. He's a a grown man, right? He's he's been a grown man in in Israelite culture since he was 13. So he's a grown man and he's about to kind of begin his ministry, his public ministry. He's about to kind of step in and begin to do battle against the forces of evil and the kingdom of God. And it's in this moment that he's baptized. And I want you to listen to Matthew chapter three, verse 16 and 17 of what happens. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending down like a dove on him. And a voice from heaven said, his father is speaking to him. His father says, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. I mean, just imagine the magnitude of this moment. He comes out of the water, and he knows when I come out of that water, I am stepping into a whole new world, a whole new thing, and I have a mission and a task in front of me. And he comes out of that water, and the very first thing that he hears is his father saying, I love you, and I'm proud of you. And men, 
Not to step on your toes this morning, but many of you, you never heard those words from your father. You never heard your father say, I love you and I'm proud of you. And so you have been living the last 10, 15, 20, 40, 60 years of your life looking for validation and affirmation from anywhere and everywhere. And let me just tell you, that is a wound that you are carrying around. Please do not pass that on to the next generation. Let it end with you because your words matter. And here's the beauty of this. This wasn't just this this isolated moment where Jesus said, I said it at graduation and we're done, right? Like that's not what happened. Just just 14 chapters later in Matthew chapter 17, listen to this, verse five and verse, just five to five, he says, while he was still speaking, a bright, so Jesus is speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, it's his father again, this is my son whom I love and with him, I am well pleased. And then he adds something additional. He says, listen to him. He tells everyone gathered there, he's teaching, listen to him because he's pretty good. He says, I love you and I'm proud of you and you are good at blank. Men, You wanna raise God-honoring kids? Cultivate their heart. Tell them, I love you. I'm proud of you. And you are good at blank. Dads, of all the things you will say in your life, of all the dad jokes you will make, of all the skills that you will teach, of all the little nuggets of wisdom that you will drop, none of it matters. The most profound thing you will ever say to your children is repeating over and over and over again, I love you, I'm proud of you, and you are good at blank. There's, there's a beautiful illustration of this in scripture in Genesis chapter 49 where Jacob pulls all of his kids together, all 12 tribes of Israel, and he pulls them together and he in essence lines them up and he goes one by one down the line and we see just verse after verse after verse where he is affirming them. He is telling them who they are and what they are good at and how proud of them he is. He is casting vision around their identity in those moments. And I don't know why, but there's something that happens and it's the way God orchestrated it, the way God made it in his divine plan and it doesn't make sense to me and I can't explain why, but something happens as men, as fathers, we are given the task to cultivate the identity of our children and tell them who they are in Jesus. It is our job. Men, you will shape the identity of your child more than anyone else in their life by what you say or don't say. And there will be moments when they get older And they're having a moment where it's difficult and it's hard. And this internal voice in them says, you are not good enough. You'll never get through this. You'll never make it. And they begin to doubt and they will remember back to that moment when their father, their dad told them, I love you. I'm proud of you. And you are good at blank. And they will believe it. And they will stand up and move the ball down the field in the kingdom of God because they had a father who spoke identity into them. Men, 
What words are you speaking to your children? Are you speaking words of affirmation and identity? What about all the, like maybe you're thinking, what about all the families that don't have a men in the home? Or what about like all, all the, the single men in the room? Or what about all the men who are, who are married but they've never been blessed by God with children? Or maybe it's a decision they made to never have children. What about all of those men who aren't maybe necessarily fathers? And I just wanna say this, this is the beauty of the local church. The beauty of the local church, the beauty of the mount is that every time a man steps into our kids ministry and our student ministry, you don't know. You might be the only male figure in the life of that son or that daughter who has ever told them that they have worth and value and significance and they have a purpose and you are calling them up to something big and something important. Your presence matters. You have no idea the impact you are making simply by showing up and speaking words of life into someone else. Oh, I'll close with this. Let me just say this because here's the reality for us dads. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. You will leave in your children what you have lived out at home. And that should humble you to know that for 18 years, However you live, they will carry inside of them for the next 80. Cultivate their heart. Speak words of affirmation and life. Be a dad who steps in and doesn't lean back. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful for your word, for the way that you model masculinity for us. Father, we are thankful that you spoke words of affirmation into your son to model what it is for us as fathers to speak it into our sons and daughters. As we continue praying in this moment, just, just a moment of transparency here. Maybe you're here this morning, whatever campus you happen to be at, and if you were honest, you would say that man or woman, your relationship with your child or your children is not what you wish it could be. It's strained. It's broken at times it's full of hurt if that's you it just I'm not gonna have you raise your hand I just want to do something different will you just look up at me for a minute if you are looking at me I want you to hear this very clearly it doesn't have to stay like that forever there is hope you can go home today you can call them you can drive to their house and tell them how much you love them, how proud of them you are, and the things that they are good at. And you can begin to repair that relationship through the power of Jesus. As we continue praying, maybe you're here today and you would say, man, I, I have never given my life to Jesus. Today, for the first time in my life, I wanna surrender control. I'm tired of trying to figure it out on my own, trying to make my own plans and do it my own way. Today, I wanna surrender to Jesus and have his power living in me as, as a parent, as a father, as a mother, as a person, as a human. I want to live in his forgiveness. If that's you, whatever campus you happen to be at, would you just slip up your hand in just this moment of boldness and say, I surrender my life to you, Jesus. If your hand is raised, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I am a sinner and I need your love. 
come into my life. Forgive me, make me new. Jesus, I turn and I repent and run to you. Amen. Well, church, as we continue worshiping, we wanna let you know that when we worship at any of our campuses, you can come down front and talk to our prayer team. They would love to pray with you. And let's stand and let's sing about the faithfulness of God.